0: Hey ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. On today's show I welcome Simon Mundy. I am a huge huge fan of Simon Mundy. I feel so honored and lucky to be able to actually have him on my show. He runs Don't Tell Me the Score podcast. It's easily my most listened to podcast and the guests he has on are just phenomenal. Guests such as Johnny Wilkinson, Gary Lineker, Sir Alistair Cook kelly holmes Catherine granger damon hill rick flair boris becker the list just goes on and on and on the who's who of sport he has had on his show but it's way more than just sport his podcast it it looks at all areas of life gets in people like andy Puddicombe from headspace who i really really resonated with in in that show and just the format of what he does is is inspiring it's brilliant it's amazing and i just took a massive punt and reached out to him i'm connected over twitter and very quickly he replied and was very keen to jump on the show with me. So I've come to this one as a, just a massive fan and a little bit awestruck and starstruck when he when he'd said that he would want to come on. So I did fanboy quite a little bit on this one, but hopefully you will enjoy my chat with Simon Mundy. Uh, just an overall really, really cool guy. Uh, we have a lot in common, talk a lot about mindfulness and how we reflect on ourselves um, and, and go deep with a whole bunch of things, so it 's related to sport, but this one is much more related to character development, life. He talks about some anxiety issues, some depression some um, uh, when he when he had insomnia while he was sleeping and really struggled to get to sleep, and things he did with that so he's a he's a massively deep thinker really interesting guy we go into a whole world of non-duality which is which is just fascinating for me it opened up a whole cool way of looking at things i i was interested in this anyway but he's really big on that but in regard to his podcast, I would highly recommend you go and listen to these. Um, the The knowledge he brings to it, what he extracts from his guests, the life lessons that I take from them on a, on a weekly basis. It's my regular podcast for going running or working out, and I, and I just let it all wash over me. So he is doing some amazing things in, in the world at the moment. He's busy writing his book, and, and by the time this comes out, the book might be out. And I believe he's taking his Don't Tell Me The Score podcast, Um, privately so i'm not sure when that's going to happen but he's been working at the bbc for 11 years now because uh, he was the sports presenter at radio one he progressed to being the reporter at the wimbledon championships in 2018 the don't tell me the score podcast is the highest rated i believe podcast or sports podcast out there at the moment and you can see why So, as I said, genuinely surprised, honored, flattered that he was able to reply so quick to be able to jump on this show and Most people I come in contact with on a regular basis probably know about him because I, uh, <laughs> I bang on about his podcast a lot and, and the guests he's had on and I've just got a huge list of them that I need to get through and I do tend to recommend them to a lot of other people as well. So hopefully you enjoy my version and my chat with uh, an expert in the podcasting field and uh, a, a big name in regard to the BBC in regard to reporting. So please welcome to the show Simon Mundy. Simon Mundy, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you getting on?
3: Jesse, it's lovely to be here. Uh, I'm very good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've got me coffee in hand. Uh, I was allowed to have a lie in this morning. It's been a busy week, but I'm uh, delighted to chat to you amazing and genuinely I this this for me is such an honor um with
0: the people I work with your podcast I, I'm signposting people to episodes all the time there's there's so much you can extract from the work you're doing so yeah me reaching out to you what a couple of weeks ago um over twitter and just the person that you are just replied to me very quickly we got in a conversation and here we are today so a massive bit of gratitude from me to you um you know they you know big fan of your work and we're going to get into that but I think a good place for us to start is for those who aren't aware of you but within my field most people will be aware of you um could you give us a bit of a a background to your sporting career and your journey sporting career okay
3: Okay. this is a good I don't haven't been asked this yet so my sporting career so I grew up in a sporty family my dad was a pretty good rugby player I think he the joke in the family was that if he'd have been a couple of inches taller, he would have played for Scotland. Okay. He certainly he played against people who went on Lions tours and that kind of thing. But he he doesn't have, still doesn't have, as a golfer now that winning mental attitude, um, and he certainly definitely passed it on to me. Unfortunately, <laughs> so my dad was a rugby player. My mum is a very natural, naturally talented sportswoman. So she was a runner. She's one of these people who can turn her hands to pretty much anything actually. So she was a good tennis player and she now is taken up golf after moaning at my father for a couple of decades. She's taken up and and very quickly become better than him. I think he's probably won about two trophies in his life. She wins a a hatful every year. It's amazing. So I, I was brought up with mini rugby. That was the first sport I got into. And I really liked rugby. That was obviously fulfilling my father's passion Primarily, but I did really love it. I Still, really love rugby. Um, but it was tennis that that completely was just my passion. When I, we moved, when I was probably seven or eight, and there was, a, I was really fortunate in that there was a tennis club um, a short walk from my house. You go down an alleyway, there's a door there, over the cricket pitch, tennis courts, and I got taken down there a few times by my mum, and thought that this was kind of fun. And I and I still remember or at least this is the memory I perhaps have created in my head, but connecting with the forehand properly and thinking, wow, that felt great. And from that point, I just became an absolute tennis nut. Um, Wimbledon each year. So my parents, funnily enough, got married in the church near Wimbledon that you can see whenever they do the panoramic shots, you can see that that's the the church they got married in. We used to go to Wimbledon a, a fair bit each year, ground pass, some matches. I went actually, my first ever tennis match I saw was Boris Becker against Ivan Lendl in the Wimbledon semi-final in 1989. So show sure my age, but I was only little, a little guy and it was meant to be the ladies' final, but the, because of rain, it got delayed. And it was Becker against Lendl, And Becker was my, I mean, was my absolute hero. I used to get more upset when Boris lost at Wimbledon than when England or anyone lost at the World oh, Cup. Really? But I, Mile okay. by a mile, right? <laughs> and and I can still remember he won in a five-set thriller. I can st- I can picture it so clearly him hitting the ball out of court when he won. Um, so I just became absolutely obsessed with tennis. I, um, my, every Christmas, my mum would get me the Wimbledon highlights video. Nice. Every Sunday back in the day, I would get up to watch Trans World Sport to watch three minutes of tennis and I'd record it and just watch it again and again and again and again. Wow. I would go on CFAX and just check the results i'd read the daily telegraph newspaper there was a um, journalist called john parsons who was an excellent tennis journalist so i would always read it i my my knowledge of tennis certainly when i was younger was just ridiculous Mm. and still now so i know any winner finalist and most scores from wimbledon from about 1971 onwards. God, on, oh, give me a quick, pick a year, pick a quick year. Okay, pick a right. year.
0: Wow, that is that is okay, I'll pick my birth year, 1983
3: That's an easy one. Well, it's, it's, a, it's so here we go. So yeah. obviously that was the the year that John McEnroe won his second title yeah. and he beat Chris Lewis, the Kiwi in the final in straight wow. sets.
0: Chris Lewis, that is a name I would not have been able to pick out of Can anything. And just check so.
3: it is Chris Lewis. Yeah. Anyway, it's certainly says something Lewis. It's anyway, he won in straight sets and he thrashed him. So that was that was the year it would have been Martina would have won the women's as well, of course. Brilliant. So I, I remember my life really through what happened in Wimbledon in any given year. And I just spent all of my time down at this tennis club playing tennis. Uh, at the same time, I pl- played rugby to a re- reasonable school level. You know, I was in my, my A-team up until the, the Colts A-team once I got into the final year and was unfortunately dabbling in smoking and all sorts of other <laughs> untoward activities and, and my gaze was not necessarily completely sport-focused. Um, I, I was playing in the seconds, and I let myself down there. But, um, but yes, yeah, so I so played rugby, but tennis, tennis was really my thing. And uh, carried on playing tennis. Eventually, I think I learned how to win probably when I was about 22. I won my club tournament then. Before then, I would have this uncanny knack of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory right. against players. Um, so yes uh i i kind of learned how to overcome that self-defeating behavior to a certain degree mm. um, played a bit of golf as well so and play golf now and, and now i just um tennis i still love um play golf run keep fit got into calisthenics i think it's called yes. now body weight stuff now so you know stay fit love to walk love watching all sport don't support a football team very odd for a, a sports reporter um but that's it so that's sort of potted history of my sporting sporting background
0: I'm, I'm keen to explore this 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 tennis passion of yours because the way you speak it sounds like um a lot of top athletes you know the way they get obsessed with a sport the way they really immerse themselves in it so where where did it go in your junior career into regard to tournaments were you thinking about pursuing it as a career at one point and ultimately why did it maybe not pan out to become a career
3: in terms of playing? Yes, yeah. I don't think I was good enough, to be quite honest. I think, um, I, think I was probably actually, with rugby and tennis, I think I was probably better than I r- believed. Mm-hmm. I went to a school reunion um, a couple of years ago, and the first team winger was there. And he said, I remember him sat next to me, and he said, you were one of the most talented players, if not the most talented player. Okay. but you didn't train particularly hard. And I was, I was a real gobby type at school, always in trouble with teachers. Fortunately, you know, never really bad stuff, but just, just gobby and a bit sort of rebellious, shall we say. Um, but really, I think that was probably a bit of a defence mechanism. And, and, and so I, I, he said, you know, why didn't you train that hard? And I think it was probably a lack of confidence, actually, that, that I didn't necessarily believe I belonged. And, and had I had that belief, I think I probably could have been a better player. Certainly, a rugby, mm. um, tennis-wise, I did play tournaments. So I used to play county tournaments, and if I give, I'll give you an example actually of uh, that illustrates the sort of lack of belief or how my belief would get in my own way. I played against this guy. I, mem- I remember his first name. He was called Peter, and I think he was the, he was the county number one. And in my school team, I in my sort of. Lowest, so my prep school team. We had an incredibly strong team. So we won the Surrey Cup. We and we were going on to the nationals. We were a great team. I was the number two. The number one was a guy called Stuart Rhodes, who was a who played to a national level. Mm-hmm. And I had watched Stuart Rhodes play this guy Peter in a school to, in a school match and lose six four. Now I remember this guy Peter. We, we were only twelve or something like that, and he had one of these sort of stylish games, Federer-esque, beautiful single-handed backhand. I, I remember just standing there and admiring him, thinking, oh, I wish I could play tennis like this guy. Mm. Fast forward a year, I'm playing in the Surrey, Surrey, whatever it was, closed tournament, and I'm drawn against Peter. Okay. And some of his mates, one of whom I'd previously been mates with, but he'd moved to school and so was now more on his side as you, as you get at that age, right? was saying you've got no chance you you won't win and so this is all there and i won the first set fairly comfortably and i think i was probably 4-2 up in the second he wasn't playing particularly well mm-hmm. but i should have won that match but i had this belief beforehand and during that i wasn't going to win right so as a result i self sabotaged mm-hmm. to the point where the, because i believed i wasn't going to win I almost I made that right. a reality. I yeah. couldn't win. I couldn't let myself win. I just started choking for one of a better word and mm. just almost felt like it wasn't my right or my place to win. Mm. So like I said, this was a, a bit of a limiting thing for a long time when I was when I was playing that I didn't I was held back by the same, I think, lack of killer instinct that my father had and mm. had. Um, so, it was never really an option in terms of thinking I would go pro. Um, they always said I had lazy footwork. Okay. I've got quite nice strokes, but I think, and also being playing at my club. So, I was the junior club champion, but it was it, what it was probably big fish, small pond, to be honest. It wasn't one of those real performance clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have joined actually one near where I live now, um, and that may have changed things being amongst the very best players but I didn't choose to do that I just like being able to go to a club that was a walk from my house and it was just a, a refuge and just something I loved to do and now actually in hindsight I'm, I'm quite grateful for that I think that we so often think that or people can think that if you've got if you're good at something or you love doing something you know you've got to take it to the next level but for me I just loved playing for the sake of playing and that passion for tennis you know, I'm not going to get any better now, particularly with my dodgy hips. But that passion is still there. That ability to lose myself in nice. in the um, in the process of playing that's that's what it's all about, actually, for me. Mm-hmm. Rather than having to necessarily win, and that's what I'm arguing a lot in, in, in the book. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's something
0: later on I, I, w- I wanted to talk to you about about beliefs, the language we tell ourselves, the the stories we create in our head, and, and how that leads to certain things. And it sounds like you've got a little thing there going on that I want to explore at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's fast forward a tiny bit in regard to your your tennis, your immersion with tennis, the passion for it. Um, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it was it was a really great career move to be starting to commentate on Wimbledon, reporting at
3: Wimbledon. Can you yeah. just
0: paint a picture of of where you went from that passion of playing and loving tennis and how it led to the career and where you're at now, roughly?
3: Yeah. So, like I said, Wimbledon and tennis were, was my... Thing. So I remember any any given year by what happened in Wimbledon in that year. If someone says, Oh, I was born in 84, I just go back to, okay, McEnroe beat Connors that year. Okay, where was I? And I can relate my own life to it. So I had this huge passion and Wimbledon in particular, obviously, because tennis was not on the television except for Wimbledon when it's wall to wall television. So it's the high, always been the highlight of my year has been that Wimbledon fortnight. First going home from school and just watching it. Mm-hmm. And then later on um, developing that. So when I was at school, whilst I n- never seriously contemplated a professional sporting career, we did do a psychometric test where it was made clear that I would make a journalist. That okay. my, <laughs> I, I remember I had a, my score on talking was, was high. I think it was possibly the highest and, they recommended being a journalist so I'd all and this guy John Parsons who I mentioned from the Daily Telegraph if someone had said to me what do you want to do I would have said that I want to write about tennis
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, and so I worked at a newspaper in my summer holidays for work experience I think when I was 16 did broadcast journalism at at university Um, and it was just if anyone asked me what was my passion it was always it was always just tennis to tennis it was either writing for a tennis magazine or anything like that and then um, I actually took a bit of a detour I did sales for a few years but then I got back I did broadcast journalism at university went to Australia New Zealand came back got a little sidetracked did sales for a few years realized after a while the sales though by the way was at a tennis magazine okay nice (laughs) and everyone was it was the tennis magazine that I read since I was um seven i've still got the copies downstairs from like when sam Prass won wow. in 1990 you know that shows how <laughs> ridiculous i am and um so I, I worked at this tennis magazine but i just sensed that it wasn't my la- i always say my ladder wasn't up against the right wall mm-hmm. and then i did some interviews for um for them during wimbledon they would get me to to, to represent the magazine talking about stuff and i did one for radio wimbledon and the guys at Radio Wimbledon, like they got back in touch and said, you know, you're good. Like you should you should consider this. And I just had this like, what am I doing? This okay. is what I trained in. I was a, I trained to be a broadcast journalist. And here I am not doing it. So I um, asked around and found out that there was this radio station not far from me where I could do work experience um, or rather I could I could work for them um so i rang up and i said have you got any spots and they said yes funnily enough we've got a guy who's leaving the sports show on a saturday afternoon if you want to do that we can't pay you but you can do that nice. so for a year alongside my normal job i was working monday to friday and then on saturday i would drive to this radio station and do the the sport bulletins and the news bulletins at the end of that time i then was in a position to actually apply for a job back in radio so i got a job out in the sticks um in, in Ipswich, funnily enough, which is a place I would probably not have chosen. To, no offence to anyone from Ipswich yeah. that I probably would not have chosen to go to had I not got a job there. But I ended up having to take a big pay cut. Mm-hmm. And I knew then, though, that my ladder was up against the right wall. Nice. I love I just had this sense of, ah, oh, yes, right. I'm back on. I'm back on the track that I should be on. Nice. And um, and I was I probably had been for a couple of years before this. Um, during the time that I was doing this work experience on a Saturday, getting in touch with Radio Wimbledon and saying, can I have a chance? Can I have a chance? Can I have a chance? 2007, they said, okay, um, the guy who normally does it, he's not around for the first week. You can come and do it. Right. And I still remember the first morning. So because I was doing the breakfast show, I'd have to be there really early. So no crowds in nothing like that. And I still remember uh, it must've been, let's say 7. AM being sat up on Henman Hill, and it's still called Henman Hill, by the way, anyone? Oh, who is does, it? Yeah, not oh, yeah no. Oh, yeah. Forget that. I mean, listen, <laughs> each to their own. But Henman's the original. Um, so up on Henman Hill, I'm just looking around thinking, wow, yeah. this is the coolest thing ever. I can't believe I'm being paid to talk about tennis, <laughs> you know, on, for Wimbledon, at Wimbledon. Amazing. This place, that is the, my mecca. I, th- that feeling I had sat on the hill was one of just, oh wow, this is nothing could top this, and I've had it once since, which again was at Wimbledon. Um, so yeah, I, and they they just liked what I did because I was so enthusiastic, because I knew my tennis inside out, mm-hmm. because I liked doing silly interviews, and I just had loads of ideas, and they said right. Okay, yeah, the other guy, forget him, you're in. (laughs) Uh, And from that point on, so I did three years at Radio Wimbledon and then uh, worked at Wimbledon for BBC Radio 1 for nine, eight, nine years. And then 2018, 2019, I've been part of the TV coverage Mm. and then was expected, obviously, this last year to be one of their... So 2019 was probably the year when I was made to be one of the primary TV reporters at Wimbledon. And that was another one of those moments. I was yeah. sat in the in the room, okay, watching all, all the big screens where everything's being directed. You're looking out over the court on your left, where um, John Isner beat Nick uh, beat that French chap uh, oh, that in mess the mess longest 76, long 76 yeah, yeah. whatever it was. And um, looking that over the left, you've got Sue Barker, you've got Claire Balding, Boris Becker's walking <laughs> in, John John Lloyd's walking in. Uh, They're coming up saying really nice stuff. Andrew Castles, you know, it was just Tim Henman sat on my left. And I was just sat there and I did the the men's, um, what was it? The men's tournament review ahead of the final, the men's final. So Federer against Djokovic. And I remember sat in this chair watching on the screen as my report went out. And I had that same feeling that I had sat on the hill 11 years previously of like, I can't believe this, that m- my inner child, the nine year old me would not believe. I still get tingles now just talking about it. The 10 the, the year old me yeah. that that would have said it would have probably locked off this arm, my non playing arm to be able to do this um, would was just absolutely ecstatic inside me I almost yeah I I, if I'd have really let myself go there probably would have been a a solitary tear rolling (laughs) down my cheek but um yeah it was it was uh so to be able to sort of to be able to translate my passion for tennis into a career not as a player is something that I remind myself is pretty special because I remember actually a lot of my friends from when I was young remind me of this there was a guy when i was probably 13 14 and he i think his passion was music and we we said oh, we will set up a magazine when we're older <laughs> music and tennis mix probably wouldn't have done great. Right? let's be honest <laughs> yeah, right come on there's, some, there's a niche there. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway he got in touch with me some years later and said i can't believe you're actually doing your passion whereas obviously he was i don't know what he was but he wasn't mm. doing what he wanted to do and I, and i think it's probably quite rare i'm sure you know you, you you know as well you've followed your passion you know it's it's a rarity i think yeah. a lot of people don't necessarily even know what theirs is for a long time mm-hmm. and and certainly a lot of people don't aren't fortunate enough to sort of follow it so to 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 be able to do that has been yeah. very very special but it's just been gutting last year not not being able to do wimbledon and then this year um, they i'm provisionally booked but who knows what the tournament's yeah. going to look like yeah, you're and then it's going to be a bit, bit touch and go. Yeah. That. And then by that point, and then because I'm leaving the BBC or my terms of engagement with the BBC have changed, who knows whether they'll use me again anyway, but, but worst case scenario, I've done it and I've done the TV there. So absolute worst case I've, I've done what I would, yeah. the little me would have loved to have done.
0: What a brilliant story. And I I can just see you lighting up as you talk about it, you're getting animated. And yeah, it just it just gives gives me enthusiasm. And I just love that. Well, I I heard a great quote must have been about a year or two ago is, and again, it's linked to passion and linked to following what you what you want. And this quote kind of challenged it a bit. It says, don't worry about your passion. Do what energizes you. And and I, I love that because, you know what? it's it, As a 10-year-old boy, it was energizing you. You watching the matches, recording Trans World Sport, replaying that. That was where your energy was being directed. And, you know, it sounds like you then... Just harness that energy and kept going with it, and yeah. it led you to this amazing place. So, yes, I'm all all for following your passion, but I like that rephrasing of it a little bit. Going, actually, you know what? Where where your energy is could be even more powerful in your passion. So, who was
3: that? Was that Cal Newport who did that? Oh man, I can't remember. Because I think I've seen that. Because I, I I like with all these things, and as someone who I know has similar should we say spiritual or, or presence or non-dual out, out beliefs around me or ways of looking at things. Language is so funny because it's, it's all just signposts. So someone could say resilience and it means, it definitely means this. And then someone else would say, actually it, it means this or grit yeah. uh, interchange. And to me, following your passion and following, following what energizes you, that really is the same thing. Hmm. How do you know if something's your passion? It energizes you. Exactly. That's to me is the, It's perhaps passion, maybe something idealistic, but Mm. I think that, but you're right. It's, Mm. it's more of a feeling. Mm. And so even with the radio or or how, because obviously tennis isn't the only thing I do now, it, it's just having that feeling that yes, this is right. As opposed to this isn't quite right. Yes. Yeah. Um, So now as a sports reporter, when I was at the BBC, um, working for radio one for many years, when I first started there, as you know, in this country, football is number one mm-hmm. and I don't support a football team. And I've never, ever fallen in love with football. I, I, I can watch it. I enjoy it. But it's not a genuine passion for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to first of all, I thought I've got to hide the fact that I don't support a football team for a long time okay and and actually coming realizing that that was stupid was a kind of turning point for me but also I would I would go to all the biggest matches so I went to the World Cup in Brazil in 2014 any any England international I'd be there and and when I go to to Wembley if you're a journalist at Wembley you get you get a lovely dinner you lovely coffees desserts all this kind of stuff you're surrounded by all the big names of uh, journalism right and and I would sit down there and I'd go, right, I'm I I need to get to a point where I can commentate on football. Mm-hmm. So I would I'd be sitting there watching the watching the football, like forcing right, like, come on, <laughs> be interested, be interested. <laughs> and most of the times by half time, I'd be watching one of Federer's old matches on oh, YouTube. Wait, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> because and, and I realized it's just it's not that it's me. not there. That that feeling in was not there for me. And so that I often would be asked, do you want to do final score? Do you want to do these football? And and in fact, I had screen tests for Sky Sports News a number of times, which obviously um, obviously, football-orientated. And one time – so I got two screen tests. The first time the guy said, your teeth are really distracting. What? These things? I don't know what – it's I think a he's harsh. jealous. Yeah. I mean, look, look at these things. That's Two years cool. of braces for these puppies. <laughs> um, and so the first time he told me that I should perhaps have my teeth filed down, which was a bit oh. hard. But then the second time he said, we really like you. Da da da. If there's anything that comes up, same guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Forgot who I was. No mention of the teeth the second time around. Right. And he said, if anything comes up next season, we will you would love to use you and there was part of me Rob if I'd really been passionate about it I would have chased that mm-hmm. but part of me was like this isn't right mm-hmm. this isn't right and so I think what you talk about you can have many passions and to varying degrees mm-hmm. sure. okay but to me it is it's that it is that energized, if you if you want to put it that way that that feeling of this is right as a, it, it's intuition, isn't it? It's follow It's the, it's the cliche. It's following your heart. Yeah. Does this feel like the right way to go or not mm-hmm. and not being too planning ahead. It's like just bob and weave. Yeah. Follow your heart. Little, little size step here, little size up there. And it, if, as long as you do that, I think you end to go in the right direction and I can't ignore mine. Mm-hmm. Like It's really a strong feeling. I get, I think some people perhaps are less sensitive to it, but I'm very sensitive to it. So mm-hmm. I find it really, sort of crushing when i don't listen yeah. to it
0: um honest that 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 for me is, is amazing how you put that and yeah just the language just the reframing of the word passion to energy i think i needed to hear that personally at that point yeah. where i was i was facing a certain career path and i was like actually i thought that was my passion but it wasn't giving me the energy and i, I pivoted
3: and that made a huge difference and i think that's absolutely right it's that thinking isn't it that exactly. passion can maybe it's something that we idealize but yeah. like you say oftentimes yeah. it's you no know, it's 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 because our, our thoughts can lead us on a merry dance right as you well know um and uh, often it as Eckhart Tolle as you I know you're a fan of as he says if it's between your thoughts and your feelings go with your feelings mm-hmm. so energizing if I think it's just what like with all things it's what resonates with you so I actually think that's a that's a good and do you want very just quickly Jesse on this because I've just written a bit a chapter talking about following your passion so I'm now going to slip in about energizing so thank you I'm just going to write that down
0: perfect go for it I'll I'll (laughs) I'll
3: credit you I'll credit credit you that
0: I can have one word no no it's not even my quote but no (laughs) well just on that last bit as well I might send you a link to this um have you have you seen that Tim Minchin speech where he goes back and gives a speech um to in Australia I
3: have I can't remember it
0: but I have seen it yeah remind me I've got it it written on my phone in my notes as my big bold it's the like first thing I see it's it's um be micro ambitious you know don't think too far ahead in the future because you might miss that shiny bright thing out the corner of your eye basically immerse yourself in the moment be he doesn't use the word passionate but he's going i just love that idea of being micro ambitious work with energy and verve on on the task you are immersed in he's very much along those
3: lines and Do you know what? that's, I that's, that's that. such you a know? um an important point and I don't know if you've listened to. Uh, so I recorded an episode with a guy called David Epstein, oh, who's Dave, written...
0: well, I might just grab a couple of his literally both his books out over there. So you got?
3: Have you got range? Range and telling code. I'm uh, not telling code. Um, um yeah, I know the one. Sports yeah. yeah, sports gene. So range for me was transformative. And so I mentioned that I spent those years doing sales. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I had that down as a waste of time, mm-hmm. and almost tried to cover it up in my career. Looking backwards. And then he really transformed the way I looked at it. And I think I've spoken to listeners of my podcast who get in touch with me, who've had similar things where they feel like, oh, they weren't necessarily going in the right way. And so that was wasted time. But actually, I now look at that and actually I'm grateful I did that time because first of all, it's made me far more appreciative. Having that contrast between when I wasn't on the right path to when I was Mm -hmm. makes me much more in tune with that energizing feeling um and also i think a lot of people who go straight into journalism particularly bbc no offense to them can be a bit institutionalized yeah. whereas i think coming outside and perhaps bringing even some of that sales outlook has to some degree informed mm. um what i've done but i always he talked about five-year plans and, and i remember lots of people would say oh, i've got a five-year plan and i was always felt bad that i didn't have a five-year plan i'm lazy i don't have a five-year plan and he he it's like, no, it's, it's, it's nonsense. You know, feelings changed. The person you are now is likely to be not, very. you can't, you can't tell who you're going to be in five years. Mm -hmm. And so he very much was like that. Tim mentioned just Bob and weave, Bob and weave. And I think that's whenever anyone gets in touch with me. Now I'm like, you don't, first of all, you don't need to be on your path at 20, 25, even 30. It's whenever it happens, but Bob and weave in the short term and just follow what, just the forks in the road there are so many just follow it just try and and if you get on the wrong one reevaluate and get on the other one but it's yeah, yeah that, that 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 micro idea is great
0: yeah. micro ambitious and, and I think what I also got from that and, and personal experience you I think you meet so much more interesting people in those in those moments where you're more immersed and you're bobbing and weaving as you say rather than going I'm five years down the line and I'm almost gonna just not pay attention to anything around me because I've got this tunnel vision
3: Yes, yeah. and well Johnny Wilkinson so johnny wilkinson's got this mantra that i love which is to explore rather than to control wow okay i like that and this that fits in with what we're saying if you're exploring the path that you're going on by following your energy then you you will go you will uncover things you wouldn't have expected
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and that's happened with me with my podcast i didn't Five years ago, I didn't have an idea that I would have this don't tell me the score in the format that it is. Mm. Um, whereas if you have a five-year plan, that's an element of controlling. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, the more, we, the, the, just it's kind of let go, surrender, yep. stop thinking that we're in the driving seat and just <laughs> let life take us there and, and just try and be a willing participant who's not insisting that we go left when it's urging us to go right. Brilliant. And that leads me on to my next, but to talk a little bit
0: more about your podcast. And, and again, I've, I've warmed so much to it. I, like I said, I, I reference it a lot. I signpost parents to it. I signpost a lot of my, good, man, to Jesse. It on it. but there, there's, you, you bring so many different elements of it. So what really piqued my interest even more so was when you started talking about stuff like mindfulness, presence, Eckhart Tolle, et cetera, would you be able to share your experiences with these ideas and concepts and how you think it falls into everything you do at the moment?
3: Wow, that's a good question. Okay. Well let's see I can
0: if I... thank you for someone who runs such an amazing
3: podcast. I'll take that. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Um little little um sidetrack. So I was recently on John Kerwin's podcast. Do you know John yep, Kerwin? I, I, I love it. I heard it a couple of days ago. I was run right. so it... all black legend, a guy who when I was growing up was almost in the Boris Becker class of like Demigod, and now I consider him like a friend. I've I've interviewed him. We've chatted on Zoom probably four or five times this um lockdown, and for him to say he, he referred to me as an All Black, okay, and I was like, that wow. is pretty, that is amazing. That's I think it. he was probably hamming it up, but it was amazing. Now it, at the end of this, I got into exactly what we're about to talk to, which is non-duality and the nature of reality, where perhaps. um the human race currently has a slightly wrong paradigm and i was reluctant to i'm a bit like because it it goes against to some degree like i said the existing way of looking at things i could be a little bit reluctant to almost a bit coy about really going for it and a friend of mine um who actually is just a listener don't tell me the score and and i do like to reply to everyone who gets in touch and and this guy sent me this really long email. So we've become quite chummy because I thought he's taken more from my podcast than even I have. Like he remembers more. So I value this guy's opinion. And he said, don't, in in, his, in my advice, he said, don't be apologetic for your view of this. So with Love that it. in mind, here we go. Love it. Um, yeah, so, go. Um, so basically, I think it needs a little bit of context, which is that, okay, the reason I'm interested in, a big part of the reason I'm interested in well-being, nature, reality, all this stuff comes down to the fact that I had some difficult times in my twenties. I had, as I've explained to you before we spoke, I went through a bout of really bad insomnia. Um, I got quite anxious at times. Um, I it just was like I said. I think I'm quite sensitive to how I feel, so I wasn't one of these people who could just park it and and. Mm drink through it or anything like that i had to explore it and understand why i felt a certain way so early on i um got in i was one of my best friends used to take the mickey out of me because she used to say oh you know i'm the guy who reads the self-help books right Right. funnily enough now she's all over them but um so but i was that person i was looking for answers uh, mainly to do with my own pain shall we say So I started out and I looked at things like NLP and which at the time was, um, had some value, but not now something I particularly pay any attention to. And, and I just kind of went down this rabbit hole Mm. and then the truth of it is in about 2013, I had just had this epiphany and it was to do with some relationships that I had, um, where i realized that they weren't going to change and i i think we often particularly let's say if it's family and stuff like that hope that other people will change and then everything will be okay Mm, but actually i had this epiphany they are not going to change and i have to change i have to stop trying to mold the outside world to fit me and i have to to be sound cliche go inwards right and from that point then i just had various um serendipitous things kind of happen that led me in the direction of ecotole and spirituality which at the time i would have just said is like nonsense so 2013 i was a really big fan of christopher hitchens who's mm. a fantastic orator i used to love listening to his <laughs> rants against religion yeah and would almost try and copy the way he spoke right sometimes and so if someone said to me oh I'm spiritual I'd be like you're an idiot okay in my head right but then I like I said just various serendipitous things happen and and I came across then I think Paranau first and then his second book which was the really one that, that hit me which was a new earth and I had some various other quite profound experiences that perhaps aren't appropriate for this show, but, um, but let's just say that they were, they were fairly transformative. And I, and, and I just, again, probably had that energized feeling of this, this is, this is what I'm looking for. Mm. It's not the kind of old rejigging beliefs or uh, rejigging or, or fixing myself, let's say, anything like that. It's looking actually at the, at, at what's really going on. Mm-hmm. and so Eckhart Tolle talks about presence talks about now talks about us not being our mind and all this kind of thing so I I just just absolutely couldn't uh, my pat is funny actually my passion for this kind of stuff is is akin to tennis oh wow so, okay so you go it, Yeah. oh yeah big time like now so the two things I watch if I've got a spare 15 minutes between running around after the five-year-old or Running around after the thirty-five-year-old is um, is. I'll either watch old Roger Federer matches, okay. or I will watch videos on non-duality. Wow! So, so, so. Okay. Very quickly, this is how I would describe it: is that the it, we all. W- what do we mean when we say "I"? No, right? mm-hmm. so do you mind if I go oh, yeah, like, please I want to go down this rabbit hole Let's okay do- you want to go down this, okay so what so we all say I I <laughs> am hungry I am angry I am Simon I am a tennis player I am a BBC employee I I, I I I
0: identity I, I. then are you putting identities on things
3: exactly right so we we identify the I we identify it with an emotion a thought a feeling whatever so so what what actually is that i that we all intuitively know ourselves to be a child knows i am let's say and it's only later then that we we put all these identities on Hmm. and so Tolle talks a lot about we have roles to play but they are not who we are and a lot of people will this is why i find it interesting that sports people a lot of sports people when they retire have mental health problems Hmm. I think it's something like 50%, according to a survey done by the BBC. And, and a big part of that comes down to identity.
0: Well, and Chris, sorry to interrupt there, but cricketers are particularly vulnerable, aren't they? I think the suicide rate in cricketers is the highest of
3: any other yeah. sport. I mean, I would find that really hard. The amount of touring as well yeah. and just being mm-hmm. stuck in your own head a lot of the time out yeah. in the outfield. But um and so identity is this big thing. And then a common way of dealing with that that is prescribed, let's say, by psychologists is have multiple identities, so don't just be a sports person, be a sports person, be a mother, be a brother be a da 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 so just identity 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 mm-hmm. but the problem is every identity can go mm. so okay to come back to the eye so everything we experience is in life has an objective quality to it, so everything a thought has has you it has a quality to it. We might not be able to clearly define what it is, but but we we know a thought because it it it, it has the qualities of a thought. Yep. Okay, those qualities differ from the taste of tea, from the sight of a tree. Okay, mm-hmm. so the things we experience in life are thoughts, thoughts, feelings. Mm-hmm. So I feel sad. I feel happy. I feel we could say emotions, sensations i pinch myself i can feel that sensations perceptions what i can see what i can hear what i can smell so thoughts feelings, sensations perceptions within thoughts as well you've got memories you've Mm -hmm. got stories all these kind of things now the thing the thing is all of these things come and go so no one thought has ever arrived and stayed forever okay i'm i no feeling has i'm angry okay the anger comes and then the anger goes we're not always angry i mean we are on on a spectrum of course but no one's always angry no perception stays when this tree that i can see right now if i go that perception is going to go even seeing itself in the kind of um through my eyes when i'm asleep that that's not there hearing so on and so forth so all every thought feeling sensation perception comes and goes so all objective experience comes and goes it's fleeting mm-hmm. as they say so in buddhism they say the world is impermanent
1: mm-hmm.
3: now one thing though that is not impermanent and that is the I, the I that we know ourselves to be and that is that which is aware of all of those things
0: mm-hmm.
3: okay, okay? So, so could that be classed as consciousness or, or is this not linked to yes that? yes yes so, so, but, but okay so what's another way of looking i think see consciousness is a funny one because i think people have different definitions of consciousness people say oh i'm i was unconscious as in i was asleep
2: mm-hmm.
3: but if we think of consciousness i prefer to a more simple way of looking at thinking about it is is awareness mm-hmm. okay so if you have a thought now of your, your squash racket okay it pops up and there's there's the awareness there's the thought itself and there's the awareness mm-hmm. now they're not actually separate mm-hmm. but you could separate them and then the thought goes and the awareness stays throughout the whole of your life throughout the whole of my life that awareness has always 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 been there mm-hmm. even even when we are asleep and we dream there we are aware of our dreams mm-hmm. so the awareness itself never goes and that and the awareness the thing it, it sounds it's easy to to overlook it because we're so used to getting lost in objective reality. So getting lost in thoughts and feelings and sensation and perception we're always out there oh what can i see what can i hear what can i think what can i feel what can all of these things
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, that th- we lose ourselves in that whereas awareness has no objective qualities. You can't point to awareness.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You can't it, you can't describe that it, okay, it the only, th- the only thing we know about awareness are that it is aware and that it is. That's all we know. And so because it has, it's, it's really easy to overlook. But the implication of that is it, because it has no qualities, the awareness in me is the same as the awareness in you. It has no qualities. It can't be anything but just aware. Right, it's okay. just pure awareness, right? Yeah, yeah. And then that is, so that is where this idea of non-duality, which means not two. Mm-hmm. so everything in life has a as an opposite should we say up down left right woman man um you know good bad mm-hmm. so on and so forth awareness has no opposite there is nothing mm-hmm. opposite to awareness okay yeah, i mean you could like say that. not awareness but it's it, it's it's the it, max Planck, who i think won the nobel peace prize in not, the 1930s says you know consciousness awareness is fundamental everything mm-hmm. it, it, it's it the underlying strata of everything okay mm-hmm. Now, the current materialist paradigm is that awareness comes from our brain. Okay. okay, so there's matter and then there's consciousness. So, And matter comes first and then once matter was sufficiently built up, suddenly out of it sprung awareness, right? Okay, okay yeah. Now, increasingly, pe- so the great spiritual leaders down the years including let's say jesus now i'm going to lose a lot of people here right <laughs> okay but, but and i'm not uh, by the way i'm in no way religious this is not no. a religious thing this is an experiential thing but because i think he, for example he i think same as it m- was being completely misunderstood so he would say i am that i am or before there was a famous quote before abraham was i am so mm-hmm. I, am, I am i am is awareness now if i was to ask you i are you are you aware I would,
0: I would say, I have a level of awareness. Yes,
3: but, but you, 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 you can hear me now. Yeah, uh, yes, I'm here and now and, and in this moment. Right. So, so you, we know that we exist. Even chip, it's not something we need to be taught. So we know that that, that we that we exist, that, that, and that is I am. Right. And um, so the whole thing about the I am is, if that uh, the awareness that we are, the the awareness that the I is is easily gets identified with thoughts, feelings, sensations, perceptions, particularly thoughts. Mm -hmm. So that's where a self-image comes in. So we start, we have this image of ourselves in our head, often related to the body, which also rises in awareness, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so we start to think of ourselves in in that way. Now, how this relates to sport is, so that in in Buddhism, they talk about no self, no Mm -hmm. self, no problem, right? So the self that we believe ourselves to be is the self of, um you know i'm simon i'm successful i'm this i'm mm-hmm. insecure i'm whatever whatever it may be you yeah, know this
0: in your stories you're the creating stories
3: just these stories that we hold yep but but there is the the the, the awareness that is aware of the story right mm-hmm. so once actually you strip back all the identity and just come back to the eye there's there's nothing there apart from just just awareness itself being aware of the play of life mm-hmm. now it how this relates to sport and you'll know this okay is how would you describe that experience of flow that you will have experienced like what, what are the what are the um what are the characteristics of the state of flow that you experience when you are doing
2: something you love for example playing squash so one how of your hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot
0: that yeah I think I've probably only experienced it once when i was playing competing and when someone asked me about it I had no idea I couldn't replay what was happening it, there was there was nothing there was no memory of what was happening that was in reflection but in the moment itself nothing could go wrong Do you know like there was just complete execution no thoughts everything that I'd done was there it was that classic zone it was
3: just happening, happening just happening right so it's it, and so you could say, and this, so Johnny Wilkinson, when he kicked the winning drop goal in 2003, he said, I could feel my leg going back. There was no me there. There was just a, an awareness of it. Okay. Um, Frankie Tory when he rode the seventh horse, exactly the same thing. Damon Hill experienced it when he was driving the car. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about it like a slightly outer body, like it's almost like out, you're out of body. So you're observing yourself yeah. just performing. So Goldie Sayers, she describes it as the beauty that she loved about sport was seeking effortlessness. Mm. So you're just, you're kind of, obviously you have to learn the skill, whatever, but then it's almost like you're, you're there and you're, you lost, you you lose yourself. Now the guy who's really looked into flow, he said there are, well, two of the main characteristics. One is a a loss of a sense of time. Mm -hmm. And the other thing though, is a complete loss of self self self-consciousness. So you're not, so this, the image that we, the ego that we believe ourselves to be, the, mm-hmm. the image we have of ourselves in our head, born of our identities, born of the things that we associate with, born of the clothes we wear, the color of my skin, my gender, my thoughts, my beliefs, all these things, the stories I hold, my memories, blah, blah, blah. They disappear right. in moments of flow. Yeah. And we become, you could say we become one with the activity. Yes.
2: All right. Yeah.
3: So, so just to stop there one second, that's where I'm really
0: trying to explore that, that field is going, yes, I think we understand it and you describe it perfectly and you brought it to life in a way. My big question is, how do you cultivate that? How do you, you know, I've got, that's,
3: that's the. Well, big, well I, I think, I think that, um, well, just, just very quickly before I answer that. So, so the thing I would say though, is when people find something that they love, let's say playing a musical instrument or, you know, being with their children or, being intimate with their partner, whatever it may be, what we seek, the hint is that we seek the dissolution of ourself. Like that is, that is the state that actually the, who, who, oh, I love being in flow. Okay. what? Well, why do you love about it? Actually? Well, I lose myself. Myself goes, I'm not, it's no longer this, I have to defend this, this sort of image of me. So the, the hint is that we, we, we actually crave the self going, the yeah. self we believe, the small self going, right? And the same could be with, like I said, with music or whatever. For me, this is why I love watching Roger Federer. When Roger Federer is in full flow, mm-hmm. you can tell when Roger Federer, when he's at his peak, it's like he's not there. It's just, it, it's playing himself. And then for example, when he lost to Djokovic, you could see he's, he's, he's start thinking. Mm-hmm. And the opposite of flow is choking. Mm-hmm. And a and a characteristic of choking in sport is being really self-conscious. So analyzing, 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 analyzing you're analyzing, analyzing the, the thing. Yeah. And, and and Johnny Wilkinson, again, you can anal- put it down to, it means, so if you imagine a, a kicker in a rugby match, right, the, the play's going, he's got the ball, been passed it long, he's really engaged, he's playing really well, whistle goes, penalty. <laughs> All of a sudden, okay, yeah. he's like, okay, it's on me.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I've got to kick this if I, oh, what about me? Oh, the pressure's on me. If Mm. I miss this, the implications for me are X, Y, Z. So you could, he puts it, that he paraphrased it down to the question is, what about me? So that is, that's the essence of choking. So flow is about no me. Choking Mm. is about what about me, Mm. right? So so it it actually hints at what we all crave is a desolation. So in terms of how then do you stabilize it in this state, if you like, (laughs) I mean, goodness, Jesse, I'd be lying if I said, oh, I got there, but this is this is the essence of meditation. Mm-hmm. People think, I think meditation now, and at, so I interviewed Andy Puddicum, the guy who set up Headspace. I was going to I ask a bit
0: about of- him because I just adored
3: that interview. That was, that's my top one. I've saved right. that. Yeah, time. it's cool. Back. Right. So I mean, he talked about non, we spoke about non-duality, which I thought talk, spoke a bit about, took him by surprise. And he said, yeah, it's, it's not this far out feeling. It's just awareness. It's, and it's not like enlightenment's over there. It's, it's just seeing through the illusion that we are anything but that, mm-hmm. that the the um that. So it's you could say it's about the meditation is to see through the illusion of 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 the self, of the small self. Right. So when mindfulness med- meditation, let's say you're just let's say you're, you're bringing your attention to your breath, but invariably your mind comes in. And, and it's just, it's just thought, 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 thought. And the whole point is not to clear your mind, but to notice that you've lost in thought and to come back. Mm-hmm. And also each, what we, we just have this habit, don't we, of getting lost in thought, lost in stories. Yeah. Lo- and, and 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 the self, by the way, if you like this, this, the full self, it's always in the future or the past. Yeah. So it's always stories about the past or hopes for the future, which is why we're always like, when we get the dream job, the dream relationship, the dream I don't know, promotion, that win the World Cup, then we're going to be happy. Yeah. Right? But, but it never works, never works out like that. Just well, ask Johnny
0: Wilkinson. Well, and so Chris Hoyt, his podcast, I think he talked about when he arrived at that moment, it was and he very much went along the fact you've got to enjoy the journey way more than that end moments. And again, that's one of the podcasts I t- give to all my juniors. I'm going, you got to listen to this guys, because if you arrive at that moment of that thing you've been striving for, but you've had a horrendous time along the way, what is life? That's, that's, that's a shocker, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Well, that's
3: what Eckhart Tolle says. If you're, we, a lot of people could even die without living because they're permanently living for a future that will never arrive because when the future does arrive, it will arrive as now. So, which is just this kind of, you could almost say mundane moment, but we overlook the importance of it. So, so I just think your meditation is just seeing through that. There are lots of ways. I think I'm trying to do self inquiry, which is um, a guy called Ramana Maharshi. So he's this very famous Indian sage, and he does something called self inquiry, which is just when a thought arises is to ask yourself to whom does this thought arise okay and then so you can't there isn't ne- there is no a thought just arises we think we think we're the thinker of our thoughts, thoughts just arise and and then obviously we're we are aware of them, and you know i mean i like, I'm no absolute expert, but I know experientially I know this personally mm-hmm. to be to be true and and there are lots of ways of of um that sort of to back it up and increasingly it looks like science so there's this guy called bernardo Castrup. he worked at the Haldron collider and he says yeah the the increasingly quantum physics all these things point to the fact that actually no we've got it wrong it's not that there is a world out there mm. and we're in here and it's no it's just all mind it's all awareness it's all consciousness wow. and that's Amazing. yeah so it's like rather than there's being this this separate self behind the eyes looking out. Mm-hmm. So, I, l- you looking at you. No, it's it's actually an experience. No, all there is is one big experience that includes seeing, that includes mm-hmm. hearing, that includes mm-hmm. thinking, that includes everything. And it's just one. Yeah. But we separate it out because okay. of thought. Yeah. Now, yeah, here, can I just do one really quick experiment with you, it's right? Right. So, here's, here's, so, so we can see each other's faces. Okay. So, and because I can see your face and and we've got you, you could, this is kind of analogous to to a mirror. Mm -hmm. So because I can see your face, we're used to seeing other people's faces. And so therefore that helps us create the image of, that we have of ourselves in our own head. Okay. Okay? So because I can see your face and in fact, my own face, I, I have this image of myself in my head, but if I, rather than thinking of, myself via because of the way i see you so that kind of third person perspective Mm -hmm. if i think of you and your experience related to my own experience of myself so okay like just for a second look up at the ceiling okay right and just notice that okay you can't see your own face you can't see me you can't say there's just a big open space at the ceilings in right got it do you see that yep Okay, so that's exactly my experience too. So our own first-person experience in ourselves is 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 if if we superimpose that experience on someone else, then it's really obvious yeah. that 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 actually right. we, there, there's no difference. Mm-hmm. But we because of the third person, all these other identities that we see yeah. objectively, that's what we start identifying with. But actually, if you just go back to that open aware space that is aware. This is called the headless way, by the way. It's well, a book called well, the headless way. About to
0: talk about the subject-object. You know, there's the subject-object, and in, in some of the meditation I practice, I I love Sam Harris's stuff, and, and yeah. he's really big on subject-object meditating with your eyes open, and then turning attention back on yourself. To yeah, yeah. That, that like who who is the looker, who is the seer, who's the thinker, and yeah, it goes. It's
3: quite that's 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 the Ramana Maharshi's thing, exactly. Yeah, it's okay. it's yeah flipping it around So yeah. because we're so used to looking out objective stuff okay but what is doing the looking exactly yeah so it's so that so this is this is a little experiment for the from the headless way so it's like you point at what you're looking at so i'm looking at a a a window on a flat over there so and follow my finger i'm looking at it and then turn the pink finger around and look where it's looking from and then you're like kind of there's, there's nothing there apart from seeing itself yeah, I've yeah done So that. Sam Harris, all that. Yeah, I think he, Sam Harris
0: takes those learnings and just translates it into his own words. He doesn't exactly that he's done it, or he's the, the inventor.
3: But yeah, the way he speaks and, and molds it is really good. And so he, funnily enough, he was really good friends with Christopher Hitchens. He was one of because no, he's he? he's a he's a really st- very anti religion, mm, which is yeah. really I think really interesting because religion is. And I think religion is often mixed up with, say, spirituality, but it's it's mm. not true. Yeah. So Sam Harris got a book called *Waking Up*, mm. and it's just so to see through this illusion that there is a self in in, in the head. And to me, that's all spirituality is. So it's not yeah. this woo-woo type thing. It's just mm. looking at reality a bit differently than we currently do. Mm. No, listen, wow, there, there's so many interesting rabbit
0: holes out. I just love where this is going. And just on, on my own personal level, this is where exactly squash mind is. I've got that. Where where the whole seed of this idea formed about trying to train players in the mental state. Um, you hear coaches talk about, oh, just, just play in the moment, be in the moment, be present. But for me, the question is, but how can we just expect people to be in the moment with a click of a fingers under pressure if there's been no practice of this outside of that field. So hence I'm trying to alert people to the fact of, you know, mindfulness, we need to to cultivate a habit of practicing this stuff in our safe environment. So, you know, those neurons, those pathways start to get stronger. So when we're under pressure, you know what, we've got a slightly better chance of being in that moment, you know, our, our brain and we're cultivating that. And um, what do you think of that? The whole idea about practicing this idea of, of moments and staying present and the transference into the pressure situation of sport.
3: I think you're absolutely right. Um, and there are more ways of doing it than just sitting and meditating for 10, 20, half an hour, whatever it is. And one of the best ways I know of that, anyone can do anytime is a technique that I told you about before we started recording. So when I was in my twenties and I had bad insomnia, I was taught this it's an acceptance and commitment training technique, which is just that throughout the day, whenever you notice that you're thinking or that whenever you notice you're lost in thought to just notice what the thought is and say to yourself, I'm having the thought that, Oh, I'm having the thought that I need to call Bob later today. Mm-hmm. So you might, or I feel hungry. I'm having the thought that I feel hungry. And and whenever you do that, what happens is you untangle from the thought and you, you drop back into that place of awareness, which is where we want to be it's because then you're, you can respond. It's about being responsive as opposed to reactive or being lost in, in consequence and that kind of thing. So that for me is a really powerful technique that for, for people who don't want to sit and do formal meditation practice, mm. you just get in the habit of I've having the thought that mm. just, you can do that anytime, anywhere. And that's a really, really powerful technique. And, and I, I use that if I'm feeling anxious, say before giving a talk yeah. or if I'm serving at five, four 30 all in tennis and that old, um, habit of mind that i can have of bottling it of being a bit choky oh i'm having the thought that mm. i'm going to hit a double fall. four i'm having the thought that i'm going to mess this up and then i'll just after that once i'm back in awareness then i will come back into the sense of my body mm-hmm. when I'm, for example playing tennis what i will do is i'll feel my feet on the court mm-hmm. or i'll feel my hand on the racket or something like that so that I'm bringing myself back into my body because in if you're in your body as Eckhart Tolle always says you're rooted in presence mm-hmm. but in thought thought by definition is either in the past or the future mm-hmm. yes so that that's it but then then the other thing is yeah like you say i think you know mindfulness training or just sitting mindfully and not to expect to clear your mind or have some profound experience but to just continually notice that you're being taken away by thought and oh Thinking back. Oh, thinking back. So there's definitely a lot of value in that
0: where so where did you learn this because for me was this a bit of a process of self-discovery or you know over years did you borrow from certain areas because the way you put that is brilliant you know i'm having the thought that if i could you know get squash players or people that i work with in a sporting environment to 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 have that realization to ask that question and then bring themselves back into the moment with sensations can you expand on on how you came up with this process or where, where it spawned from
3: yeah so in my 20s um I went through a bad case of insomnia and it started at university the night before an exam, an important exam, and I couldn't sleep. And I'd never had that problem before. And basically it sowed the seed of doubt about sleep Mm. in my head. And what I've learned about the brain is that the amygdala, so the, the part of our brain that is basically an alarm system, a danger seeking mechanism, it is on the lookout for threats. And obviously, back in the day, there were many and manifold. They were saber-toothed tigers, pillaging tribes next door, all this stuff, right? So there's a lot to be scared of. These days, we don't have as much. We live in a very safe world, but the, the amygdala doesn't know that. It, this is, we've got hundreds of thousands of years of, of evolution of being um, just on the lookout for danger. So it has no context. Now it does so for example you can think about a shark in the sea and that will get your amygdala going now there isn't a shark there but it will get your amygdala going probably not as much as an actual shark let's be honest but it still can have that effect so even just the thought about something that you're that that you perceive to be a threat or the, something you don't want your amygdala can latch onto that and and see it as a threat so it has no context has no sense of time it doesn't really tell the difference between thinking and and everything else right so i started to get worried about sleeping and over time it got worse and worse and i started then doing things like having hot milk and getting into this routine and you know i did a million things that i needed to do um you know i started taking things to help me sleep never a good idea And it got to a point where I was working at a radio station and um, I used to to get up early and and go to the gym before work to kind of just get a sweat up and really um, get my mind straight after a bad night's sleep or if I'd taken something to go to sleep or something. And I was working at this radio station and I had to get up. I was doing the breakfast show, so I had to get up at four. And there are not many gyms open at four. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought, okay, I've got to do something about this. So I, I looked at various things and I came across a guy called Guy Meadows, who now runs a sleep school. And he he introduced me to this. Well, I remember he really introduced me to mindfulness and he he pointed out, right? So we have two he described it as we've got two parts of our mind. One, we have the thinking mind that we're very familiar with, and then we have the aware mind. So mm-hmm. that what we've already kind of spoken about, you know, the awareness and 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 thinking. And um, and he introduced me to the idea of going into battle with our thoughts and engaging with our thoughts. So for me, if I was going to go to sleep, I would find myself getting revved up before sleep Mm -hmm. and my brain would be thinking, I'm going to have a I'm not going to sleep well tonight. I'm going to this is going to affect me tomorrow. And I would get in bed and my heart would be going. It was like I was going into you know, play a player deciding set tiebreak. Wow. My body was aroused, and it was in this state of—it wasn't in rest and digest; it was in fight or flight. All because of my amygdala, and, and, and I'm having these thoughts. So, what he did was he, he taught me that I needed to basically show my amygdala that these thoughts were not a threat. So, rather than battling the thoughts and trying to get rid of them, perhaps trying to challenge them in the moment. Oh no. Th- I, I I should be able to. I hope I will be able to sleep. Mm. Uh, the tomorrow will be okay. You know, go, getting stuck in this, you know, yeah. Thought, thought on thought, thought on thought, thought on thought, right? Which just, yeah. just revs it up, doesn't it? It's just oh, when that happens when you're lying down, it's just yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, just a quick actually, I'll, just a quick um, example of when this really. So, 2012 Olympics. I was um, I was covering Super Saturday for Five Live. I hadn't done Five Live before and I was in the fan park and they were like, we're coming to you live after Mo yeah. Farah's race. On right? Super Saturday, the
0: first Just time Saturday. Five Live and Super Saturday. One of the
3: greatest nights in, yeah. yeah, it was unbelievable, right? And I knew they were coming to me live and I knew it was, it was, I was outside of my comfort zone. And anytime you're outside of your comfort zone, you're going to feel feelings of anxiety and stress because you're not used to it. So I had these, I could feel this kind of fear, if you like, rising in me about this, um, about doing this Super Saturday uh, live interviews. And I tried to suppress it and I tried to rationalize with it and I tried to get rid of it. And all that that did was, I mean, it built and built and built, built, built. I almost, I wanted to run away. Actually, in the moment, it was fine. The adrenaline kicked in and everything was fine. Off in the way, right? But now what I've learned is, is by by using the technique that Guy taught me, for sleep I could use it in a situation like that which is so if I was lying in bed and and having the thought I'm not going to sleep or tomorrow's I am having the thought that I'm not going to sleep I'm having the thought that um tomorrow is going to be bad it's almost like you're welcoming the thought rather than going into battle with them Mm -hmm. you're you're welcome oh hello thought about oh hello anxious thought come on in it's Mm -hmm. fine so by doing that you're 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 accepting it and you're welcoming it which is if you imagine it your brain is then saying, oh, hang on a sec, he's welcoming this thing, this thought. It's not a it can't be a threat. Yeah, exactly. True. And in time, it doesn't. it's not like a quick fix like that. It, it takes a bit of time because obviously your amygdala mm. learns to get threats like that and then it tapers off a bit more slowly. But mm. you're just continually, oh, hello, hi, yeah. stressful thought. That's hello, cool. come on in. Welcome to the party. Join me. <laughs> come in, have a cup of tea. And in doing that, you're teaching that it's not a threat and therefore yeah. the anxiety levels drop. So now if I go back to that London 2012 example, whenever I've done live broadcasts, I still get those, yeah. Oh, those thoughts come up, there's no stopping them. But now it's like, oh, hello, thought, welcome in. Oh, hello. Yeah, come along. And now it's almost like you can actually turn them into, into power for a good performance. Right. So you talk about reframing, rather than seeing them as a threat, yeah. it's an energizing thing. Michael Johnson, the Olympic, I he, to he told me. I love it. Yeah. He's got so many good things on that and pressure he, and pressure. He, yeah. He, yeah. He said the thing he missed most was being in the call cool room and feeling nervous. Yeah. So you can actually use that as a positive energy. Obviously, you don't really want it when you're trying to sleep, but say before a broadcast or before something else, actually that adrenaline, rather than being scared of it,
4: mm. what you want
3: to do, you can if you can welcome it, you can harness it mm-hmm. and, and get it to work and, and for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, adrenaline, as Dave already says, can become fuel for a great performance, but it's just about reframing it and making friends with uncomfortable feelings and thoughts, which are a completely natural part of the human experience. So that, that's so curious for
0: me, because in one way, it sounds like you are inviting that thought in, but equally so you're distancing yourself from that negative thought, but it's almost can I call it a trick where it's kind of going, Hey, I'm welcoming you, but actually I'm not going to, I'm not going to react on you. Obviously you've heard about right. Distance yourself from your thoughts, but you slightly reframe it and do it the other way. Is, is that
3: how you think of it? Yeah, I think so. I think it is. I think it's, it's welcoming. So the analogy guy used way back when was, um, imagine like two warring countries next to each other. Okay. It's, 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 rather than going into battle with them mm-hmm. or it's it, or even you know having a cold war mm-hmm. anything like that it's it's kind of accepting that they do their things their way and you're accepting that they're, they're trying to accept So it's living in peace by accepting that the way they are mm-hmm. um, so yes i think you know that's perhaps not the best analogy in terms of welcoming but yes i think it is it's, it's understanding that negative thoughts and negative feelings are not actually Mm -hmm. negative they're just thoughts and feelings and that they are doesn't it would it be that that word acceptance i think it's quite it's it's, it's acceptance so that's why it's called acceptance and commitment training yeah well welcoming and accepting them and befriending them i think Mm -hmm. is the key thing Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that you're then engaging with them or or getting wrapped up in them it's just like come on in um you know have a seat it's not Mm -hmm. have a seat and let me talk to you Mm -hmm. It's come on in have a seat make yourself at home yeah i've got no problem with you you do your thing Come on in. It's fine. All good. And I'm, but I'm just busy being present type thing. So it's that kind of attitude. Yeah. Well, no, that,
0: that's got me really thinking about how to help my players and maybe do some lessons within the app to, to get that. And, and I've just written down, you know, I'm having the thought that dot, dot, dot. And I think so that's powerful. such a powerful thing. So thanks for sharing. And, that with me and that. just,
3: and if you can take that even further, which is that, right. So this idea, a lot of people have, and that I certainly have that, that there's something wrong with us, that we're broken, that, you know, like we're insecure, whatever it may be. And that we want to, like I said, when I started out doing NLP, I think a lot of that was around. I I need to fix these things that are not quite right about me. No, no, no. It's accept. So this is why I talk about something. I'm very passionate about the difference between self-acceptance and self esteem, So self esteem, right. Is, is valuing things or you could almost say rating things. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I, I esteem my ability to be good at playing tennis. Okay. So, you're trying to improve what, how you are at certain things. I'm. This is what I'm really good at. My I've got high self-esteem when it comes to talking in a podcast, whatever it may be. Right? Self-acceptance is understanding that we've got good points, bad points, strengths, weaknesses, and they're all fine. They're completely normal, and we just accept everything. And that actually, it comes back to that awareness thing. We have an, an innate value anyway. You see it with a baby that's born. Right. You don't look at a baby and think, oh, they need to add anything or subtract anything. We have an innate value. And and actually, then we just have various things that we've been conditioned along the way. Prejudices, other things, mistakes we make, all part of being human. We accept the whole lot Mm. rather than try and be like, no, I need to be this is what I'm good at. And I'm going to reject this part of me that I don't like. Mm. So self-acceptance over over self-esteem. So it's all about acceptance and awareness is accepting
0: of everything. <laughs> oh man, Simon, honestly, I could probably sit here for another 3 hours yeah. go down these rabbit holes. I've got questions on and I'm not going to initially do it because I'm conscious of your time and how don't general, worry, don't worry. stuff about balance, gratitude, um morning routine, habits, behaviors, you know, I I the, for me there's so many rabbit holes I want to go down, but um in closing, I've probably got another couple of questions if you're okay to sit with me for a little bit more. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah,
3: fine, um, I'm fine, yeah.
0: Which I, honestly I've, I've just enjoyed this so much and hopefully it's an excuse that we can have another chat at another point but sure um, sure sure
3: i love chatting about this stuff
0: yeah you can see you get passionate and again it's just it's it's making my juices flow as well but um (laughs) look i it sounds like you've got a really interesting part of your career coming up um i'm sure you'll get them on your show but and and you know based on your track record of the amazing guests you've got but who are your top few guests on your list that you're most excited to make contact with and an interview uh in the next whatever short-term period
3: um it's a good question, actually. I'm, I'm, <laughs> because you're right. I am, um, I am shifting. So I am taking my, um, don't tell me the score, it, with me. So I'm taking it off the BBC, and I'm going to be um, taking it onto different platforms and kind of owning it in time, so that it coincides with when my book comes out at the beginning of 2022. Um, so I've been really focused on that, and I was actually thinking of sitting down this afternoon or over this weekend and and coming up with a a top 50 list and and start getting, getting on it because actually I haven't really been um, chasing guests a lot recently. Um, So off the top of my, if I can have dream guests, Roger would obviously be up there, big Rog. (laughs) Um, I would, uh, I would, I'd like, I'd love to chat to Eckhart Tolle. I don't want to have Johnny Wilkinson back on. Um, who else? Uh, Bernardo Castro um, from a sporting from a sporting sense. It's funny, actually, because um, I'd like to get more into some of the American market. I, I'd really like to chat to Michael Phelps. I think he's an mm. interesting guy. You know, he's another one who's achieved so much success and yet it hasn't satiated his Internal Disquiet. Ian Thorpe, another one. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on Michael Phelps, I,
0: I, I'm I'm really researching and, and trying to get the the science behind a bit more visualization and and trying to get athletes to visualize more and and how it become efficient and not a burden. And Michael Phelps is such a pro- proponent of visualization, and he gives some really good interviews about his process and um, how you know he'd rehearsed it to the perfect degree. that 10- well, his, his of- goggle came off, didn't it? Yeah. Yes, exactly. But I think there was there was quite a story about that. I think. Um, I think his coach started to develop this idea of, what did he call it? Um, Sabotage training. So actually his coach would actually change the training environment, actually give him dodgy goggles, give him swimming trunks once. And so he was preparing this, but he apparently used to go through slow-mo replays. We're talking like an hour before bed and an hour when he wakes up about exactly how he walks into the arena, where he puts his stuff. And actually that's a whole topic that I'm really investigating and visualization could be really huge as
3: well. Yeah, absolutely. Visualization is um, something that comes up a, a lot. Sam Warburton said a similar thing. He would visualize himself in the first person. He'd visualize it from the opposition. He'd visualize it from the ref, from someone in the stand, and then he'd say when when it happened, it was like it had already happened. Yeah. Nick Faldo actually is fascinating on this. I did a whole episode with him. In fact, he told me a brilliant story. Right. So so Nick Faldo, he is a commentator in America on golf has been for 20 odd years and so i can't remember the name of his co-presenter but basically when he he was at um he was at college in america this guy i think jim is his name and he was at college with fred couples in in the 80s let's say and they used to visualize together fred couples winning the masters and this guy jim interviewing him and 30 years later it happened now you can (laughs) chalk that down to completely um You you know, you could talk that down to luck, whatever, but that's brilliant. Interesting. Here, Nick Fowder has a lot of these things, like okay. Nick, Nick, Nick on visualization. I'd really recommend listening to the episode okay. I did with him. I need to. He he's got loads of stuff on it. Yes. Yeah,
0: I've got a section on Spotify with um, podcasts to listen to, and I reckon you of the maybe fifty podcasts I've got, <laughs> I reckon you feature eighty five percent of those. <laughs> of the ones I've got to get, to. that's so too kind, Jesse, I appreciate I mean, that. On, on the other side of things, I've got most impactful podcasts. So then the ones that I share, and again, you know, I'm, you genuinely get on those a lot. So, on a personal level, my favourite ones. Um, I love the Ryan Holiday Stoicism one. Oh, yeah. I practice that every day. I've got my book, and I think he was brilliant. Andy yeah. Paddock, um, yeah. and Sir Chris Hoy, and the James Kerr legacy. I, I just love the way he talks. Oh, about yeah, yeah. That accent. was
3: one of the really early ones. He's a great guy, James Kerr. Nice. Such a,
0: yeah, what so, a talker.
3: Yeah, yeah, I wish I he was. I wish I had his eloquence. You know, he yeah. is really he, just a lovely fellow. Actually, we spoke for about an hour after we'd stopped recording. He told me some great, some real off off the record stories. That
4: oh, really. That, yeah, it sounds
3: like
0: well, the Kiwis like J.K. You had a chat with him, and then you know uh-huh. they, they, they seem to talk really well, don't
3: they? They just yeah. The Kiwis are uh, yeah. I mean, I think the thing about John Kerwin in particular is, uh, if you go through a difficult time like he went through, hmm. oftentimes it's a real blessing because it deflates perhaps your ego and makes you more compassionate. You have to learn to be compassionate to yourself, to other people, a bit more understanding and. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fantastic. But a lot of them are like that. I think a lot of yeah, um, Will Carling, for example, just real quick, he, he you know, he, he had a really rough two years after he retired. He, the tabloids were after him. And he said, looking back, he's really grateful for that because it made him, um, you know, it, it completely sucked the ego out of him. And he was one of just, one of the nicest guys mm-hmm. that I've had on. I love chatting to Will. And he's he's one of these people, he's, he's not identified with his old, oh, I used to be a rugby player. No, he's yeah. it's just, it's just big, he calls himself big fat uncle Bill, <laughs> and he, you know, he's, he's just a fat, fat child to his, um, who, who loves his family, you know. It's, yeah.
0: Well, it relates a little bit. I got bought um, the ego is the enemy by Ryan Holiday at Christmas. And I've read, I've read the obstacle is the way and not got to the ego one. And yeah, just on a personal level as well, just, just having to, just check that ego sometimes is, is so important in those experiences. But um, in closing, it sounds like you've got a really interesting little period ahead. Um, you're writing your book. I've heard there's obviously some frustrations with that. You've set up a company. Um, can you talk on what the, the near future
3: holds for you and, and how are you feeling about it? So what? Yeah. Yeah. It is an exciting time. Um, I just felt that um, I need, I wanted to be master of my own destiny primarily and the podcast is sort of going well. And I really sort of have married my interest in terms of sports, but marrying it with stuff that's a bit more important, I think, around well-being, all the, some of the things we've spoken about today. Um, so, yeah, I decided to to go it alone. So I've, I've set up my own company. The company is called Mundi Mundial. <laughs> my other half came up with that, so which just means Monday worldwide in Spanish. No one's got it yet. Everyone's like Monday Mundial. But anyway, we're sticking with it. So and yeah, I'm making a load of um podcasts and audio for lots of interesting people, which is which is a really good fun thing to do. Yeah, trying to finish my book. The deadline's the end of end of February. um I'm on the last chapter of the first draft, but then I'm going to have to go back and edit. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just it's a it's just a relentless process, and just trying to unpick the things that, so even the stuff I've spoken about today, trying to actually put that in coherent terms is, is mm. hard. Mm. So in a way I've been quite fortunate with lockdown because, you know, I'd written 2020 off to actually be forced to stay indoors. has been a, in a way, a little bit of a blessing without being flippant about a really hard situation. Uh, so the book, and then yeah, launching, don't, so taking the don't tell me the score, like I said, and and um, going to be launching that hopefully get to do Wimbledon this year um, as a reporter, more TV stuff. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time. It's, um, it's going on my own, learning the joys of hmm. accountancy, or, or rather, <laughs> keeping tax records, all that kind of stuff. Really? Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's and um, you know, you, credit where credit's due. Behind every great man is a either is a great woman or man, um, and. She's uh, she's definitely uh, she's definitely supportive in that way, Amazing. and uh, and is is a, a great help in in terms of just giving me bits of guidance here and there. So it isn't it is an exciting time, but yeah, the book's out beginning of twenty twenty two, and it's it's um, it. I'm trying to the, the message of it really is what we've spoken about a, a bit today, which is really that this obsession with winning, this idea that when we win, whether that be at sport or with the job or with the relationship, whatever, that that that's where salvation and satisfaction lies is a myth
0: mm-hmm.
3: and actually like you say that it is the journey and or, or being present and um un- understanding not getting lost in thought and uh, understanding fear and not giving into fear and following your that which energizes you i love that i'm definitely using that <laughs> i'm gonna go back and tweak that chapter imminently mm-hmm. um so um, it, the, the working title it may change is think like a champion but actually it, it's a bit misleading because i want it to re- kind of really re- refr- reframe mm. this idea that that it's about winning more it's about of course you want to understand that you have an innate innate value as a human being that is you can't that can't be you're no better or worse than anyone else even the biggest celebrity down to you know the person who is least value in society there is no difference yeah and that frees you up to have a growth mindset to really try and follow your passion take risks because there's nothing real at risk mm. and, and the joy is in the doing not in the arriving that's the kind of the key message so that the title itself is somewhat misleading if you okay. like intentionally
0: yeah. yeah um wow so i mean well by any viewing your track record and what you've done in your life and the way you speak and your passion and your energy about things it's only going to be a massive success i think what, what i can see from you and well, I'm, I'm going to be one of the first to sign up for those books. Cause as a oh, am so trying, trying to get into those, you know, the, 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 again, we didn't even read, we touched on it, but those stories and how we make these beliefs come to life. It sounds like part of that book is addressing that, you know, you're, 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 the biggest celebrity or the lowest person in society. You know, we're all the same and how we can go along that path. And all I can say is, is, is a massive thank you for your time. I know you've got a young family. I was actually really curious about your daily habits with a young family. We'll get onto that at some point. It's been an absolute privilege and honor for me. Um, and yup, like I, I can't wait to get this out there because I know a lot of people are going to love it a bit. So thank you so much,
3: Simon. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Jesse, it's been a really lovely chatting. Yeah, let's, let's pick it up again in future and do part two because there's a lot we haven't covered.
0: There's a huge amount. Thank you very much, man. Cheers. Presence, process, persistence—the essence of squash mind.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars